0: You're on the Crisis Hotline with Doc. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening to another episode of Crisis Hotline with Doc. Doc, how are you?
1: I'm awesome, Angus. How are you doing today?
0: Doing great. Now, Doc, what
1: crises have you brought for us today? We brought the one that we're doing, going in order At least until now, and we're going through Zero Hour Crisis in Time, which takes place right after, and some some consider it even a continuation of the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was the original major event crossover, Crisis.
0: Yes, indeed. And Doc, I know you had mentioned before in previous episodes, in particular when we were going over JSA, that this is the crises that DC would like to forget. So... With that being said, I think us going over what is at play here will be most beneficial for our audience to know that, you know what, maybe this isn't a crisis that should be overlooked. But let's get into a little bit of the basics here, and that is this crisis did a unique thing in that it actually did an issue countdown from four to zero. So it encompassed a limited run of five total issues. It was conceived, created by both Dan Juergens and Jerry Ordway as far as story arc was concerned. And then Dan Juergens did the writing and the scripting along with the pencils. And then Jerry Ordway did the inks in here So the two of those creative talents really had tight control over this story and where it would go. What I'd like to provide here, Doc, to the listeners is just a little contextual background. You know how I love this stuff. And what was leading up to this crisis as we're looking at significant DC events. So let's start this thing off in 92, because we already dealt with our first crisis event. And we pretty much know what happened in between that and this seminal event, that being the death of Superman. So you had death of Superman happening in 1992. And then you had Trinity happening. And this affected Green Lantern Corps. And the reason we're mentioning this is because obviously, one of our big bads here has a direct relation to the Green Lantern Corps. And that was the Green Lantern Corps, Legion, and Dark Stars going up against beings called the Triarch. Then, we have Batman Nightfall. This is where Bruce Wayne suffers burnout and systematically is assaulted and crippled by Bane. Then, we had the... And that happened in 93 along with Trinity. Then, in 93, you also had Bloodlines. And this was DC's superheroes going up against Alien Parasites. You had new superheroes are created from this. You had a limited series and crossovers and some annuals. And some folks think that Bloodlines was a mess, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Then... He yeah, had Justice League breakdowns, okay? This was also in 93. So, man, they are really hammering home these events and eventing us to death. But they, they, were, they were pumping these things out. And this was a 16-issue crossover between Justice League of America, Justice League Europe, and changing the tone of both the series— from a humorous one to a more serious one. And that's really important because some have accused DC, with the exception of the Vertigo imprint being established, as I keep going back to this because it's such a huge, huge, huge event in the life of DC, that DC had gotten dark but still had the light out there. Marvel started to go in dark too. And this is where I just see the the absolute dimming happen when you had an event such as that happening. Then finally you had end of an era and this is high above new earth. Teenage Legionnaires from batch SW six prevent a mysterious being from destroying the doom cities. They're shocked to learn that the man is disoriented. That happens to be rock Kryn cosmic boy from the adult version of the Legion of superheroes. Now, again, I refer to this one because this will come into play in our event. Then finally, Superman fall of Metropolis and this begins the setup here with the Man of Steel out of commission due to injuries LexCorp and Project Cadmus conflict conflict spills over into the city streets if Superman does not recover in time this may spill doom for Metropolis and then finally we get to zero hour crisis in time in
1: 1994
0: so this is quite the build up lots of things happening in between 92 to 94.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, there's one that I would like to interject in there because it does have a direct relation to this also. It's the, not a very well-known, and I don't know how well it was received, was the Armageddon 2001 crossover that was back in 91 because that is where we get to see one of the other main villains, Monarch, where he comes from, his background, and how he, like, a totalitarian from the future that comes back to 91, basically. And we see kind of... How he evolves. So that's another one that's I don't I don't think it by any means you need to read Armageddon two thousand one to understand what's going on in Zero Crisis or Zero Hour just helps as far as if you're wondering where did Monarch come from? This is where he comes from Armageddon 2001.
0: Outstanding poll, doc. Outstanding poll. Matter of fact it's I'm glad you're mentioning that because I had that conflict in my own mind as far as where to begin and I just because Death of Superman just had this massive media blitz behind it and is absolutely burned into the frontal lobe of the majority of comics fans. I'm glad you delved into that Armageddon 2001 one, because indeed, yeah, that would have good value contextually to folks beginning to attack this if they wish to go beyond just the core of the series. Now, I had mentioned before our two creatives that are central to the series are Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway. Of course, Dan Jurgens studied at an art college and at the same time worked as a graphic designer. Jurgens was always interested in comics, and he really broke in with Mike Grell, who was writer of Warlord. He saw Jurgens' work and liked it, and so much he gave Jurgens the opportunity to draw for the book. And his first work was actually Warlord number sixty-three. Then he was hired on by DC, where he drew Adventures of Superman, Angle number one later on began writing for Superman, Thor, and Iron Fist. So again, another one of the creatives that went to the two big major houses and writing and drawing a three-part prestige project, Superman Life, and was also the Batman tangent book. So Dan really has spent the majority of his career over at DC, but then also dabbling over with Marvel. We're going to see the same thing happen here with Jerry Ordway too. Because Jerry Ordway studied at the Milwaukee Technical High School, worked as a watercolor painter until the mid-70s. Around that time, he also began to contribute comic fanzines his first break in comics was in 1980 where he inked carmen infantino's penciled story mystery in space since then orway has worked on a variety of titles mostly published by dc and his art credits include justice league of america and all-star squadron and the captain marvel series along with the power of shazam for which he is really really well known for and that is just an incredible run that he had over there so he had also done some work as a script writer for Ventures of Superman and the Avengers and has done cover illustrations for Dark Horse and Charlton and did minor assignments for other publishers including Eclipse Enterprises and First Publishing and Image Comics so the reason I just wanted to give these brief backgrounds of our two creators is because these are veterans, these are veterans in their prime in which they're putting this event together and I think the chemistry works and what they've been able to pull off here in this five issue limited run
1: I agree I think they did uh, they did a great job and as, as we'll see as we get a little bit more into it that Jurgens had quite the task put in front of him because it wasn't just his ideas he had to come up with and then create this series with, but he was dealing with a lot of different creators. We'll talk about that as we get a little bit more into it. The series itself, like I said, it's about a total of 40 tie-in issues. And then you have at the very end, after the, the main series with the 40 tie-in issues, there's something that's known as zero month, And this was when basically every DC title that was published at the time, there's 42 of these total in the zero months, that they rebooted, soft reboot in a lot of circumstances, and the individual writers of each series, they were allowed to kind of change what they wanted to because they kind of had this this free pass from everything kind of getting reset from crisis in time uh, in zero hour so it was kind of interesting the 42 the zero month the 42 issues that's basically pick and choose what you want if you like the superman titles reread them you know it's that you can start over because we don't get a a new numbering from zero and then superman starts at one two three it's the zero and then i believe it was man of steel it was like issue 37 and then zero and then 38 so it, it picks up with the continuous numbering there was a few issues that were brand new a few series that started and spun out of zero hour but for the most part the the 42 the zero month you kind of choose what titles you like and if you wanted to experience something new and that's what it was kind of meant for to get new readers involved
0: yeah and doc what i think might be a little helpful for folks here is if i provide a brief summary of what crisis in time is so folks here's your spoiler warning if you want to go read the core five issues stop right now Go read them and then come on back. If you're interested in an overview, which will contain some spoilers because we can't help but discuss key characters in this event without spoiling it, please feel free to listen to this brief summary. And this will give you a flavor or understanding of where this crisis in time event, the zero hour crisis in time event goes to see if you're interested in pursuing it. So two supervillains individually attempt to destroy the time stream using entropy, Hmm. Now this is interesting, doc. So for folks who aren't familiar with entropy, what we're talking about here is a thermodynamic quantity representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work, often interpreted as the degree of disorder or randomness in the system. So this is playing into some science-based but science fiction applied Concepts here to a disruption of a time stream. So Extant wishes to create the world in his own image, and Parallax wants to construct a better world that would produce the evils that turned him into a villain. Both of their plans involve first destroying everything that ever was, is, or will be, and the following genocide of billions of people. Heroes of the world are organized to fight the chaos, gathered by Superman, the Wave Rider. Of the Linear Men. With the barriers of time destroyed, time begins eating away at itself from both ends, and the lines separating alternate timelines become blurred, allowing them to interact with the main universe. The Flash is killed, trying to stop the entropy. All versions of Hawkman converge into a single being. The Justice Society of America is decimated by Axton, Dr. Fate, Hourman, and the Atom are killed, and all except for Alan Scott are aged into withering old men. The Team Titans, yes, folks, I said Team Titans, not Teen Titans, but Team Titans, which is a far future variant of the Teen Titans, okay? So Team, T-E-A-M, Titans, revealed to be pawns brainwashed by Extant, fight the heroes, and are completely erased from history. Time Trapper is revealed to be Rock Crin. What is it, Cosmic Boy? Doc? Extant kills Wave Rider from his timeline, and Matthew Ryder of the regular timeline is forced to become the new Wave Rider the legion of superheroes are completely wiped out along with the entire 30th century. The laymen are slaughtered by accident with Parallax reveals himself. Most of the time stream has already been destroyed and he is attempting to recreate the multiverse that existed prior to the crisis on infinite earths. Gee, Doc, back to the future. Here's a big showdown between Parallax and the remaining heroes. Parallax is weakened by the specter and Green Arrow kills him. The specter then overloads damage with the cosmic energies unleashed in the fight and a new big bang is triggered. The timeline is rebooted with subtle differences but guided by nature and not by the hands of any particular villain. So there you go. That's what this event is in a quick summary.
1: There you go. That that is that's a great that was a great summary. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. When you look back at Crisis on Infinite Earths, you can see kind of like a lot of the same things coming in. Flash Could they stop killing Flash in these crises, please? You know, he's one of my favorite characters. You know, he, he perishes. We see the Spectre. You know, all of a sudden he comes up and he becomes, you know, a pretty big, big deal in both. And, you know, we see the Spectre and Flash. When it comes to Final Crisis, that they you know they they play big roles. Infinite Crisis as well. It's a, so it's kind of interesting how you see like the same a little bit of a pattern with all the with all the crises. That would probably be for something else.
0: <laughs> and Doc, since we're both big Flash fans, and I know JJ is too, I have to read this quote from Jay Garrick in this comic, and it comes in issue three, okay, because again, folks, this is a countdown, so the second in the series, but issue three. But when Barry died a few years ago, I felt like I lost a son, and Wally, he was the kind of boy that would make any grandfather proud, the kind of man who gave his life fighting for the dream, our dream. What's wrong with us? Why do we keep living out our years while the young keep dying? So, there you go, folks. This is really morbid, and you would think that the writers really have it in for killing off The Flash. It's almost like The Flash has become the folks in the red uniforms over on Star Uh, Or a Star Trek, okay? And literally, it's the guy in red again getting off. In all fairness, when we're talking about time travel and we're talking about the Speed Force, who other than Flash?
1: The Flash between the cosmic treadmill and all these things. He can't, you know, the Flash is the one that figured out how to get through time. So it obviously, he is a, He is an obvious choice when you need to when you're dealing with a crisis that is spanning different times and timelines getting wiped out. So kind of shows you know that it it is an easy choice. It'd be nice to you know if uh, somebody else came in there and could take the brunt off the Flash's back once in a while.
0: (laughs) Indeed, it would be. So, Doc, as I had just given that brief synopsis of this zero hour crisis in time. Why don't we talk thematically the implications for the multiverse, or maybe what chose to be ignored, or what maybe should have been... Really grasped onto by the authors and visual storytellers of the time and really could have been used to their advantage. I, I still contend, even after reading this five issue event, that I truly believe that Jeff Johns and also david goyer the, the goyer and johns took advantage of this event in their re-envisioning
1: of justice society of america yeah i i agree i agree 100 with that i think they they saw like kind of like i mentioned before they got a free pass and almost a blank slate that they could just reinvent it was their reinvention seamless i don't think so it seemed like there was a jarring kind of gap between the end of this or Because uh, uh, as we talked about when we went over Justice Society, the whole run when we went over that, that this was, this was happening during a run of Justice Society. And it was, was kind of never really addressed that much in a Justice Society run. So there does seem to be a little bit of a gap or like a chasm. Of what happens on the other side of zero hour, but I I I, li- I love where Johns and Goyer took the series. Their series, their run, happened to be probably my favorite run of JSA. So I'm not complaining too much about it, but there does seem to be a little bit of a a jarring gap between this this event and then the new one that forms.
0: Indeed, indeed, and of course, in this, I had to chuckle as I was reading issue four, the first issue in the series, and there was the meeting between long-haired Superman and Batman, and they were both addressing each other in the context of each other's injuries, or being put out of commission in a given time. Superman actually a little dig into Batman about Bane breaking his back, which was amusing. So, from that standpoint, if you were a longtime reader of DC, there was some great fan service there placing you into the reality of the times, and, oh, okay, what's what's Batman doing here? Now, what was really interesting from a reader standpoint is your first clue that something is amiss. Here is the appearance of Batgirl and the fact that by this time that Barbara Gordon character had been paralyzed and had become Owl. So what's really interesting from this perspective is you have the interaction with Batman and Robin and Batman going, Barbara, you're walking, you're in costume. She says, well, why wouldn't I be? Well, because you were shot and paralyzed. That never happened to me. And there you go, jumping off point that, whoa, wait a second here. We've got something being disrupted as far as the time stream is concerned.
1: Uh, that was an awesome moment when you when you come and Batgirl's there in full garb walking and you know and it's just like anytime you get to see the the uh a Killing Joke brought in you know to the main DC universe because you know that was when that was originally written that was going to be I don't I don't think it was designated an Elseworlds or you know kind of thing I don't think it was ever really intended to be brought into continuity and I just think the reception of it that the fact that they could with you know as Barbara becomes Oracle but when you see things like in this event Killing Joke is a of the DC universe now. It is firmly and we get that all the way up until today that we're still seeing the repercussions of Killing Joke, which I think I think is just fantastic. I love it.
0: Yeah, I do too. And something else which I truly loved out of that first issue, issue 4 was The new gods being right there front and center. You had Metron and Darkseid going back and forth and Metron pleading with Darkseid to help him against what he perceives as this gigantic crisis, this disruption of time. And Darkseid going, ah, I would have known, I would have been clued in on that, being very dismissive. Well, there goes Metron flying off in his Mobius chair to go find someone that will listen to him. And sure enough, he comes across the Superman who is going to again, do the right thing. And he listens to Metron and goes, well, okay, what do we need to do? Also listening in on that too, because it just so happens at the time, that was the discussion point between Batman and Superman. That's when Metron shows up. That was good from a, I call, you know, two of the three, as far as tentpole properties, you know, the Holy Trinity being Wonder Woman thrown in there too with Superman and Batman, really coming to bear early on so you know as a reader okay wait a second this has got serious implications if we're already looping in
1: batman and superman yeah, exactly so yeah you once the once the uh the main three are in it you know it's for it's for real <laughs> which it's you know it's interesting it, it's one of, one of the things uh that um you know with jurgens he was kind of dealing with okay this is a major event so we have to put all of our major players into this event. And so, of course, he had to put Aquaman in there. And I just think it's hilarious that Aquaman is in there. He gets his hand bitten off. and That's pretty much all that Aquaman does. <laughs> he walk- Then the rest of the time, we see him once in a while in the back, and he's- his hand is bandaged up. He's like, bro, my hand, it got bit off. And, I mean, he really didn't add much. You know, I'm sorry. I don't want to add to the Aquaman hatred because I don't hate that character. I I, I really enjoy his character in a lot of arcs, but in this, it's, it just seems like he's added in just because I need to get him in there. And it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny in the long run.
0: <laughs> yeah, Doc, I'm I, I, I'm with you on on Aquaman. Interesting, depending on the run, I take or leave the character. But in the runs where I could take the character, I think Jeff Johns has done a fantastic job with that character. The other person who I feel has really picked up that mantle after Jeff Johns created this badass out of what really was almost turned into a meme or a joke Aquaman character has been Kelly Sue DeConnick. And she's admitted that she really loved Jeff Johns' run and wanted to maintain the integrity of that character, but maybe add a little more depth and not creating a soap opera per se. But really delving deep into that Atlantean heritage and the interaction between Aquaman and Mira. So I think that's where she's added her twist in that deepening of the relationships. And for folks who are listening to this now in April, there is a great series that Sci-Fi puts out, podcasts called Behind the Panel. Matter of fact, I'll put a link to this particular episode in The show notes where Mike Avila actually interviews Kelly Sue DeConnick on her most recent run of Aquaman and what's going on there. So I'd highly encourage folks, if you are an Aquaman fan or want to read a badass Aquaman series, this is definitely one to put your eyes on and enjoy. So Doc, getting back to the characters at hand here. Who else would you place as being central core, having great importance and would see this event through and have maybe some lasting effects? to their character and their character arcs?
1: Um, for sure we have, we have the main, like, you know, Superman, Batman and Flash, for sure that we see them go all the way through and we see them come out strong on the other end. And another one that is, is in there that he becomes a main player is Guy Gardner, Mr. Green Lantern himself. And this, it's, it's an interesting with him because when Jurgens was writing this, he, this was when Guy Gardner was going through that weird little, he was becoming that warrior. He was like, he discovered that he was actually part alien and he could actually manifest weapons from his body. So it was kind of a weird thing. I think Juergens was kind of like, I don't wanna say saddled, but. Maybe a little saddled (laughs) with this Guy Gardner uh, character. And I think he did a good job with him. I've always liked Guy Gardner. I liked his character. I liked his attitude. And I like to see him evolve in this, in these five issues. Because like you said, he gets a lot of ink time on here. And I like to see where he went after this with the series as well. Other than those guys, we also see like like a new character, Damage. He becomes a main player towards the end because he helps kind of solve everything. He's, I mean, we're talking... I can't remember his exact years, but he was pretty new as far as I remember for this series.
0: So, Doc, those are all great characters that you're bringing up there, but I'm dying to ask you this. What did you make of the Time Trapper revealing to be a grown-up Rock Crin? otherwise known as Cosmic Boy, but now mature. Do you think that was an effective
1: use of that character? Uh, honestly, I don't at all. <laughs> I felt like it was there for more of like, nobody expected this. And they threw it in there. Who they could have used in place, I, I, I can't say off the top of my head, but it didn't have the effect that I think DC wanted it to have. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm really, i I really, I'm still kind of like, What did they do there? And I'm not sure why they did it. What do you think?
0: I personally felt that it was purposeful to put a twist or the unexpected into the book to deepen interest and why not pull on a character that maybe by this time had been overlooked, however, was foundational To the founding of the Legion of Superheroes. So, from that standpoint, you'd have to be a comic book enthusiast to understand the significance of taking a founding member of a superhero team and then elevating them to a more central role in an event such as this. But after that particular character's heyday had gone it it was i don't want to call it a a fleeting attempt of resurrecting a character but i can't come up with any better words at this point to encapsulate the end result
1: yeah and you know and to, to continue on that it doesn't seem like anything was done with it after the series I could be I could be I could be completely wrong there um, with uh, with some of my continuity and some of my timeline, but I don't remember them doing anything with this once it was kind of, you know, revealed. So I will have to go back and do a little research and we can correct that. That's why also like after it was done, I don't remember a whole lot being done with it.
0: Well, what's interesting, when we go back to Crisis and the Legion survived that. But Time Trapper took advantage of the chaos to isolate and weaken the Legion, making them believe that their fellow Superboy wasn't the real one. And then you had the fallen member of Supergirl and Cosmic Boy meets Superman and is in shock that his childhood friend doesn't recognize. When you look at that, it's muddled, I think, at best. But at the same time... I don't know what they were driving at with the reveal that Time Trapper would be this force acting negatively on the legion i didn't get it and that might just be me it might just be me but i do see that the intent here i think by both jurgens and ordway was to create a aha moment that would blow people away would put an exclamation point and create some intrigue and buzz about the event and well like you said you know, it, it's okay it's okay. And
1: you know what? This is this brings up kind of what I was mentioning when we uh when we first started talking about this event, Zero Hour, that Jurgens can't be praised and blamed solely for What resulted in zero hour to do this, just to give a little bit of a framework, because some people might be asking, why do I need to read this? Is this just a cash grab from DC because of the success of Crisis on Infinite Earths? So just to do like a little bit of a a, a background, basically, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, if you remember when we talked about that, it was to correct the continuity issues that were developing, which resulted from Flash 123 when the multi- multiverse was created. So Crisis, um, they came along and they kind of wiped it on. They created one Earth, which was called New Earth. And then they thought everything was going to be hunky-dory. And there was like actually more continuity issues that resulted than, um, than there weren't. And so in the 90s, this is when Jurgens kind of sat down and he was like, okay, we still have, it's still kind of a mess out there. All these continuity issues that we thought were cleaned up, they're not so he had the idea to basically do a and this is with Casey Carlson which was one of the editors at the time at DC he wanted to do an event where the writers of individual titles they could alter whatever parts they wanted to of the histories of heroes individually and so this was kind of like a selfless kind of a crisis event that they wanted to move forward with. So basically, in other words, what he wanted to do was he's pitching to do a big crossover, which ended up being Zero Hour. And he wanted other creators of other titles to kind of put their input about what they wanted fixed in their individual titles.
0: So Doc, in other words, what they were trying to do is take what Marv Wolfman wanted to accomplish with the original vision for Crisis on Infinite Earths and empower the series leads to provide input so make it more of a democratic process vice one person or one visionary trying to unscramble the the mess or the spaghetti bowl that ultimately had become
1: the timeline of the multiverse for dc yeah exactly so when you look at it like in that that's exactly that's a great way of putting it and so now think of it like, think of your, your Jurgens and you're setting out to write this a crossover event. And now you're getting input from almost every writer and creator, or not to say creator, but every writer of these titles at the time saying, this is what I want done with this character. This character, I want him to go through this. For her, I want her to go through this change. And so he's got to take all those different changes and he's got to make this cohesive story that remember, is going backwards and counting down to zero. So when you look at it in this way, Juergens, I think, did a really, really great idea. And it's also, so all of the things that go through, like the, the decision of what they do with JSA, this ultimately, that was an editorial decision, 100%. He wanted something completely different for the JSA. He wanted to actually, he wanted Parallax towards the end of the series to create, basically recreate Earth-2. He wanted Parallax to kind of create another world, just one, Earth-2, where he could put the JSA and then they don't have to worry about aging. You don't have to worry about their relation with World War II. They're on their own world and they're on their own physics and kind of things like that. And it was the editorial decision that decided, eh, let's just kill him. Let's just wipe him out. It's easier. Same thing with the Legion. They, he had different plans for the Legion. And editorial came down and said, no, nah, we're just going to wipe him out. And like, because Hawkman was one of those characters left over from Crisis, the first Crisis on Infinite Earths. That it was a, it was a disaster because you had his, his early years on JSA and then you have things, you know, with the, and then after the post-crisis, it was just a mess. So the editor at the time for Hawkman, Archie Goodwin, he basically decided, I'm just going to merge all of these characters, all these different various Hawkmen into one. Did it work? and i don't think completely but it's uh, at least it's um at least he kind of had a clean slate to start with and he could recreate the history but if you like what they did with hawkman in uh, zero hour or didn't you can blame goodwin not Jergens, because Jergens just kind of took that input and kind of you know put it into the story that he was writing interesting fact that i think a lot overlook that jurgens where he did have control over the story he was also getting input from a lot of different writers at the time and creators so it was like talked about um having being overwhelmed and trying to create a story and he was also writing two superman stories that create you know that came in after it so is uh he had he had quite a full plate during this
0: no doubt and that's what also made the contributions of jerry ordway so much more relevant here because he at least had a collaborator to sort through this coordination challenge that was perfectly laid out there doc in what you just encapsulated so With respect to the actual story itself, do you have any other reflections on positives, negatives, things that you think worked well, things that you were like, oh, okay, that might have been really ambitious, somewhat aspirational, and they didn't quite pull it off? What are some of the positives and, and negatives in your eyes that came out of this crisis event
1: um i i like a lot of the i like a few of the like after when they did that zero month i like some of the some of the changes they did you know to the histories where they basically kept the characters the same but they tweaked the little things on on some of the histories like you know with superman for example um his parents were alive now and things like that so it made little changes and we get a little bit more um to see like for example, with Superman, we got to see a little bit more of a human side post zero hour. What I also like, I'm getting to the little note section I have here of uh, with the aftermath that it kind of it did. I think I think it did a decent job of cleaning up the timeline a little bit. I think it still got a little bit muddled afterwards. Talking still talk about characters like Power Girl and Hawkman and things like that. But overall, I enjoyed the fact that these writers had the opportunity to kind of go back and tweak what they wanted. I love how Flash comes out of it because we see those are two of the tie-ins that i recommend reading when you're reading zero hour because it does lead up to when he gets because we already said the spoiler so when he gets killed in zero hour and then when we see flash number zero we see how he kind of comes back so that's kind of a cool little arc that we get to see that starts before Zero hour begins, goes through it, and then comes out at the uh, on the other side um, with something a little bit new and things like that. The other one I, I did like, like you said, I really like the way they the arc we got with Batgirl um, because she came up to a very very tough decision. She knows that she's displaced in time, and she go but there's also she wants to live but she's also like, this isn't the way things should be. So she had to make a really tough decision. Is she going to help them restore the proper timeline or is she going to help the bad guys basically keep doing what they want to and maybe she can live through all this? So I really like the arc that they put Batgirl through as well. I thought it was very human in the same sense.
0: Yeah, those are all excellent points with respect to the sub-stories, if you will, of the overall story arc and the treatment of the characters. I I truly have nothing else to add to what you just went over except i kind of like to turn our conversation over to the visual storytelling that takes place in these five issues this is one of those rare occurrences where you have artists illustrators collaborating together on not only the story arc but then also the visual storytelling throughout the entire run you have dan jurgens doing all of the pencils. You have Jerry Ordway doing all of the inks. The control over the visual storytelling is absolutely fantastic. And if there is a massive strength of this five-issue event, it is in the visual storytelling. It is a tour de force. It is eye candy, beyond belief it makes the experience of reading all 5 of these issues pleasurable the majority of these panels are un Conventional. In a lot of instances, you have whole pages that have an illustrated backing and then panels that will pop up in a design in there. You also have two page spreads, almost centerfolds happening at various different times throughout this series and not necessarily in the center fold or in the traditional page number two, three, that do that immersive thing that we've well covered in so many different discussions, not only between the two of us, but uh, Ray has chimed in on that, and so has JJ. But they do it to such an incredible, effective way that does not appear gimmicky, and at the same time adds to the overall effort So even the dialogue bubbles that are put into those beautiful two-page spreads have significance behind them, while also at the same time, every action of every one of the characters in those larger mural poster type of illustrations has meaning. They're just not there to be oogled and odd. It's, yeah, you're going to do that, but you're also going to say, whoa, this this is really powerful what they've put on these pages here. So I, I felt that in some ways the visual storytelling doc in this five issue series was even more effective than the actual story arc and scripting at point.
1: I agree hundred percent. I think the artwork was absolutely beautiful in this uh, in this five five book series. And like you said, it's like there's there's a lot of really unique kind of stuff going on on some of these pages. We get some really great you know, splash pages. And then we get some really great tight shots of different characters, their faces, and like the emotions that they're showing. It's, that's one thing that even if you weren't, which I think the story is really fun. And I think it's a, I think it was a great story. Um, even if you weren't crazy about that, you will really enjoy just going through the artwork in this one.
0: Yeah, and I, I'll say this, that the artwork completely supports the story. So therefore, my enjoyment of the artwork The visual storytelling is part of the package that puts this series over the top for me where I go, I thoroughly enjoyed this read on so many different levels. The sci-fi elements in it, again, using entropy. The busting up of the timeline or the collapsing of it. The use of the countdown from four to zero. Very clever, like that. The then pulling on... The various different characters who you would expect to see in the DC universe's cosmology really coming to bear here from new gods to, of course, you'd expect Superman, you'd expect Flash, you've got Batman, you have all of the complementary elements blending together. And again, I think done very effectively. By no means perfectly, but as you said, Doc, bringing up the fact that both Jurgens and Ordway had one heck of a challenge trying to grab all of those inputs from those series leads and answering those requests in five issues, I, you know, frankly, I don't know if they could have done a better job given the scope of what they had to try to accomplish. I agree.
1: I think they did a great job with the story. I thought that before I even went into the background and realized that, oh my, this was like a, like you put it, a democratic process where they were getting a lot of input from a lot of different people that they had to fuse together. You know, great example is with uh, with power girl. I mean, she was pregnant in, in the, in zero hour where where that kind and this was something that, you know, they kind of inherited. Juergens inherited this from a really bad, Um, justice league plot that went nowhere but he didn't know that when jurgens was writing zero hour he thought that this was going to become something major in justice league so he kept it the same in zero hour so power girl was pregnant it had nothing to do with anything in any story to be honest after this was over and it went back to justice league justice league writers did nothing with it either so it was like one of those like just another example one of those things that he had to deal with that power girl was glaring she stood out like why is she pregnant? What's going on? Because <laughs> it's kind of the same with uh, when she was pregnant in JSA in the series. So it was uh, just one of those. Another was one of those interesting characters. They had quite the task, and I think they, I think they shined well through it. And I, I think it's a really enjoyable one. I know we wanted to talk about, like we always do. I'll, I'll make sure that I send you a list of the complete list of tie-ins. And then the ones that I recommend, and by all means, don't listen to me if you think there's one that you you like one of the titles, read it. It's it's not like a total waste. But as far as what tie-ins go directly into the main five-issue events, that's what I like to always kind of like talk about. There's not a lot in this one, to be honest. I think out of the 40, I think there may be like 10 tie-ins that I think are pretty useful to the main story. So it makes it a little bit more digestible as well, and more approachable if you don't know where to start with this.
0: Indeed. Doc. And one thing that we touched on just very briefly, but I'd really be interested in your opinion on is the use of Green Lantern and the development of the character of Parallax, and the impact the Parallax made in this event. Could you delve a little deeper into that, and specifically how effective that character was in pulling off what Jurgens and Ordway intended that character to do?
1: I think, you know, I think overall, I think Parallax was really effective in this story. I really enjoyed seeing when he popped up, when I when I read this the first time, I didn't read it when it was being released originally in the 90s. I think I read it towards like the late 90s. I think I went back and I found some, and I just read the core issues. And I really didn't know that Parallax was going to pop into this. I thought it was going to be Exton, who was Monarch, who was Hawk. <laughs> so that's a whole story in itself. But I really enjoyed, and I enjoyed how Jurgens took, you know, basically kind of the old the um the closing off of events of death of superman because that's where parallax basically comes from when hal jordan sees the destruction of coast city he kind of just goes crazy and he blames himself that he wasn't there he tries to recreate it and then he goes nuts of course we see a huge retcon with uh jeff johns and the parallax character but as right now you know we see it is that hal jordan just kind of snaps and he takes on this persona of parallax super powerful super dangerous and i like how Jurgens kind of fused him into the next crisis. I think it was a nice logical kind of uh, leap. I think it was effective at the end. I also really, really liked at the end. Again, spoilers, because Green Lantern and Green Arrow, they always had a title together for a long time. And how... It came down to Green Arrow had to, you know, basically kill Hal Jordan. So that was very, that was a very touching moment. And it really showed, even though he doesn't have any superpowers per se, but it showed the human side of, of Green Arrow and how, you know, it was, it was such a big decision. But, you know, he is, he, when it comes down to the end of the day, he is a superhero and he has to do what's right for the world and not just what may feel good or, or feel bad to himself. So I liked the character. And I really loved where they took the Parallax character after this series. I loved when in the Day of Judgment short run that Jeff Johns wrote that they turned Hal Jordan after he finally shook off his Parallax into a Spectre. And he became a Spectre for a while. I, I loved when that, that kind of evolved after the events of uh, Zero Hour. So I think there was a lot um, just from that character alone that you can look into and read and be really... It's, it's interesting what they did with the arc for that character. So,
0: Doc, in summary, what would you recommend or who would you recommend this crisis event too who would benefit from reading zero hour crisis in time
1: i would say definitely if you are if you consider yourself a a dc completist and you you want to read all the main events obviously this is going to be one because it's not when you look at when you read and you like listen to different podcasts or youtube videos of people talking about dc's events Zero Hour oftentimes gets kind of overlooked. I think it's because I don't think the editorial, from the editorial perspective, it didn't do what, it, what they wanted it to do. I just have a gut feeling about that. That's why it kind of gets passed over. But like we mentioned many times, I think it's just a fun story. I think everybody who, who likes these characters and who enjoys DC Comics, especially if you did read Crisis on Infinite Earths, I think you will benefit from reading this Crisis because you can kind of see... How it continues into this, this, you know, the crisis has become this not just world event, not just universe event, but this multiverse event, even when the multiverse isn't there anymore. So it's, uh, I think, a benefit. I think anybody can benefit, um, especially if there's some characters that, you know, like Batgirl, for example, that you miss her from pre crisis. And then so you can kind of get to see her back, and do, you know, and do some action and become very human in the same sense. And anybody who is interested in seeing how the DC timeline evolves, I think this is a, this is a great read. And again, I'll give the list so we can post this. This is one where you can really just read these five core issues and that's all you really need. So you're looking at five issues. I forget how long each issue was. I'm going to say it was around. So it's like, it's a digestible. You can read these in a couple days. I, I was engrossed in it. And I did both. I read the timeline of all the tie-ins with the core event infused in it. And then I just went back afterwards and I just read the five core issues together. And I think the, the five core issues work beautifully together with nothing else added into it. So I think, I think it's a very digestible series as well. And you just get some really great characters, some new ones that pop in. And we see afterwards that there's a couple new series that evolve out of it that keeps you interested in it. So I think everybody, honestly, this is one of those I think everybody's interested. With Crisis, I, I think we said that people who are really into the history of DC, that's where Crisis you know, that would interest the most. With this one, I think uh, everybody could be, re- enjoy it because there's not a lot of history that goes into it. But there's a lot that comes out of it. So I think it's important to move forward with it.
0: Doc, I agree on from the standpoint of the non-completist reader, and that's me, frankly. And I actually enjoyed this read more than I did Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it's far more digestible on so many different levels because the consistency in the artwork from start to finish was outstanding. On top of that, the scripting was very tight the story arc very tight. Now, mind you, you brought up all of the holes with respect to continuity and then utilizing the effects of this event and future issues and all that stuff. But if you just look at this as a five issue limited run, it has a great amount of reader satisfaction from start to finish there's a completion if you will a satisfaction at the end of the reading going wow that was a most enjoyable story that was a lot of fun it was beautiful to look at and very effective as far as the visual storytelling elements beautifully complementing the scripting and the story arc to a t
1: yeah and it's like a lot of the um you know a lot of people's favorite characters you get to see the legion you get to see the JSA, you know, you get to see all these people. And they're not just like, you just see them for a couple of frames and then they're out. They're, you know, they have pretty big parts in this. So it's, it's fun to see all these, all these different team ups. And and, and like you mentioned earlier, the team Titans. You know, when I first was reading, I thought, I thought it was a typo. I'm like, who the hell is the team Titans? I wasn't even familiar with those guys when I read this back in the late nineties. So it was um, originally, and so it was, it was fun to like get introduced to a couple new ones. And again, that zero month that happens after the core event, you don't have to read any of it. There's 42 ones that very soft reboots. You don't have to read any of it, or you can read all of them. There's this, which was interesting the Superman titles in the zero month. The, all the four titles, the Superman, they follow, they're all part of the same plot. So there's a, like a little arc that goes along those four issues. So I thought that was kind of cool that they did that. It was uh, Man of Steel, just Superman, Adventures of Superman, and Action Comics. It was just all circled around this new villain called Conduit, who was kind of born, this, who he kind of wasn't, he was born the same day as Kal-El fell to Earth when he was a baby. And uh, he was, I think he was exposed to kryptonite, I believe, and had these lasting effects on him. And it was just a really cool little story that went over. So for that, I definitely recommend those in zero months. But other than that, they're just kind of take whichever ones you want. So that's what makes it, I think, really enjoyable on its own.
0: It is. And Doc... There is one character which we did not touch on, which I would just like one last impression on before I wrap this up. And I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself here that I didn't mention this character earlier and, for, and really plays a central role in the story. And that is Wave Rider. What did you make of Wave Rider here and the use of Wave Rider? Because I, I have to admit, I am not as deep into the DC Pantheon. Of characters as you are. Who is this character, and why? If I'm an unfamiliar reader of. DC, and I'm just picking up this crisis event to enjoy it for this five issue limited run. Why should I care about Wave Rider and be invested in this character? What's important about Wave Rider?
1: Uh, Wave Rider is is kind of important. He is uh, he comes on when I mentioned that Armageddon 2001 series. He is he's a hero from that future, the Armageddon 2001 series, and he is he's just kind of this time traveler, and he goes back in time to try to foil Monarch, who is one of the main villains of Zero Hour. So we kind of see that's where he's kind of coming in, and he's always been kind of like, I gotta go and get this, because Monarch is just one of those typical, you know, um, super villains. He just wants to completely take over the world. He's just all about that. And so that's really, and as far as this series go, that's where his main importance is. He has a little interaction over the years with Booster Gold. I, I believe, if I am not incorrect here, that he was also in Morrison's 52 when he did those 52 that series, and he was also, he had a, he had a, a play in that. I think he actually, spoiler alert against since we're doing lots of spoilers, that I think he murdered Skeets, I believe, <laughs> in the 52 series. So there's a lot of different things that go on in there. I think the most important thing, as far as in context, with Zero Hour, is that he is killed, Waywire is killed by Exton, who is Monarch, who is Hawk from Do- Hawk and Dove basically hawk goes nuts when dove dies and all this and so he takes on the Extant, and then or sorry monarch and then he absorbs all of wave riders time traveling abilities and everything and that's how he becomes super powerful and redubs himself as extant kind of feel
0: so folks if you are like me not as initiated into the DC character pantheon as Doc is. Essentially, the takeaway from this is the following. In the early reading of this comic in issue one, the moment you see Wave Rider come in, that's a tipper. That we may be dealing with some sort of connection with Monarcher, essentially. It's foreshadowing, as it ends up being here for this series that that is indeed the case.
1: And that's where we get in uh, leading up to the first issue of Zero Hour, which was number four, showcase 1994, number eight and nine, this basically shows how Monarch becomes extant, and we see Wave Rider, so we get a little bit of background there, so I'll include that in the reading list, those were, those were two that I had in there, it just, it's showcased, so there's three different stories, and the last story in each issue is, the, is basically, they're calling it a prelude to Zero Hour, and it shows how Monarch steps up and becomes extant and super-powerful. As the sacrifice of Wave Rider.
0: Doc, that's fantastic. And again, for sharing those lists with you all so you can pick and choose what you would like to delve into. And again, I'd love to thank you for bringing this crisis here over to the Hotline Wave so we could do a deep dive into this event, which is Zero Hour Crisis in Time. And we would love to hear from you once you have Read this limited series. And if you want to go a little deeper into some of the crossover coverage in the different titles during this time, please leave us a message via the anchor app or send us an email at Kirby's Kids Podcast at gmail.com. Doc, I'm going to give you the last word here on zero hour crisis in time.
1: Zero hour is not the crisis that should have never happened. I think it's one that needs to be read because I think it's just a fun story. And I think it will, if you are more versed in, like late 90s and 2000s DC, I think it puts it more into context about some of the things that happened. So I think it's a great read and enjoyable in itself and it's five issues long.